All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really excited uh, today to have my guest on. My guest today is Dr. Sandeep Kapoor with Northwell Health. He's the director of Espert, uh, which is the Screen Brief Intervention and, and uh, Brief Intervention and Referral to Treatment. And he can talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, he's also faculty over at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Uh, so I know that's a mouthful. Dr. Kapoor, welcome to the show. And hopefully I got that somewhat right. <laughs> uh, it sounded great. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks awesome. for having me. Awesome. No, great to have you here. Thank you for carving out time and grounding with us to most importantly, uh, tell us about, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And to set that up, Maybe you could start off telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to become the person you are. So a little bit about your origin story and kind of what led you down to this, uh, this path. Uh, sure. Yeah. So well, once again, thanks again for having me. Um, let's see a little bit about myself. Uh, grew up in New York, uh, born and raised. Uh, both my parents are Indian, first generation immigrants. Uh, I went to school here and college here, and then I traveled over the pond to Dublin, Ireland, and went to medical school, as well as worked as an EMT while there. And then when I came back, I actually found my passion for uh, research, as well as really understanding certain patient populations that may not have a voice in mainstream healthcare. Uh, when I came back, I started working uh, at Zucker Hillside Hospital for child and adolescent psychiatry research and really found that um, though many of us understand behavioral health uh, just through our own uh, personal life, uh, there is a huge patient population that just does not have an active voice. And I felt through the work I was doing there, I was able to give some sort of advocacy and voice uh, to that group of young individuals that were being started on medications that um, were pretty serious medications. Um, to answer your question more broadly, or more, I say, I guess to give you a broader perspective, what made me who I am today, definitely my parents. Mm. Uh, they're very humble, very humble, very generous folks. And I think uh, if I could just be 1% of what my mom and dad have done for this world, uh, I would be in a good place. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, Dr. Kapoor, obviously you can, you can hear it, you can see it. And, you know, obviously through your work and, uh, you know, you're raised in that nurturing, but that love is, I think, really key and important. And, you know, not all of us are, are fortunate to be insulated um, by such, you know, great driving forces on with mothers and fathers. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more rare these days than not, but it's, it's great you've been able to take that, you know, as a platform to, to set yourself up to, to heal others, right? And so I guess along those lines, um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about, you know, what is capturing your fascination today? What problems in health are you trying to solve? What What's capturing your attention? Um, tell me about your passions in health currently. Sure. So I think it's really interesting that you use the words healing others, um, because I'm going to try to make an analogy for a moment. The others in that sentence for myself mm -hmm. is actually our healthcare industry. Mm. Um, you know, currently we have a huge gap in clinical care as well as, uh, or I guess it's driven by a big gap in clinical education around the topic of substance use. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're seeing this manifest in so many ways uh, by losing members of our own families, our own neighborhoods, our own communities, our own patients, 
on a daily basis to diseases that really should be considered a chronic illness and should be looked upon as any other chronic illness like we do with hypertension or diabetes. So this gap in education and gap in clinical um, uh, uh, clinical uh, services really has been a point of focus for myself and a very large interdisciplinary interprofessional team that I have the privilege of representing. Um, really, how do we change industry standards utilizing the forum of the largest health system in New York State? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And, and and tell me a little bit more about that. So how is that? How is that manifesting? So tell me a little bit, kind of the um, the, the the work that's going on here, how that's being expressed, and 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 as you're doing this work, what's what are you starting to see the difference that makes the difference in, in this work that you're doing? Sure. So, so concretely, what we've done at a very basic level, and I say basic, but it's uh, we're six years into this. I still feel we're in our infancy, but we've accomplished a lot in terms of multiple baby steps. But really, what we've done is empowered our frontline team members, our clinical team members, our nurses, our docs, our social workers, to have some sort of level of comfort and understanding of the science to start addressing substance use as part of usual care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let, let me elaborate a little bit more if, if, if I can, mm-hmm. um, kind of how we take vital signs, uh, for, uh, hypertension or for cardiovascular disease, right? We take your blood pressure every time we see you in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a vital sign for us to get a, a window or an understanding, a snapshot of how your body's doing when it comes down to blood pressure and cardiovascular disease in, in general. Mm-hmm. What we've done is we built in these quote unquote vital signs into our clinical, repertoires so that we can get a status check so we can get a snapshot of how substances alcohol drugs or tobacco are playing a role in your life either for your health or just your overall life including your psychosocial health Mm. so how does it look like so if i uh you know god forbid was addicted to say opioids or something like that and i went in for one of these scans or or this, this this process that you're doing is that some sort of reading or index that I, I as a consumer and a patient would be able to receive and then you would be able to receive and index that in your system somehow and and have some sort of treatment plan based on a number or a range or how does that how how what is the visual management of of that assessment you know take shape on both sides from a consumer and from a system standpoint sure great question so for example, if you were to come into one of our emergency departments, um, you know, during the assessment of your vital signs, so seeing if you're breathing, what your blood pressure is, maybe even taking a finger stick for blood sugar, there are certain evidence-based questions, about three or four, that are asked by our frontline nursing team of the patient around alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. These are evidence-based questions. So based on the response by the patient, we can calculate a score to understand their risk level. Mm-hmm. Now. It's all contingent on us showing empathy, being non-judgmental, non-confrontational, and really, again, highlighting the commonalities that we're just trying to understand, you know, your current status with a certain chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're able to accomplish that and build an avenue of comfort and really hear from the patient what they're feeling about their, um, their current status with their substance use, then what we do is actually offer what we call a brief intervention, which really is using the spirit of motivational interviewing to gauge if a patient is dealing with consequences, what those self-identified consequences are, and if they're willing to make a change, how can we partner with them? 
Mm. Um, it's a very different technique than, you know, uh, gauging someone's vital signs and making a decision on what you're going to do next. Um, that's usually one-sided. Um, obviously, this industry has been trying to change that for many years to make it a communal conversation or shared experience. Mm. Uh, especially when it comes to substance use, we really have been trying our best to ensure that the patient's voice is primary and we're just there to support them on their journey. I love it. I love it. And um, I, I guess um, you're seeing promise here. You're seeing, so you're working on something super powerful, something that um, is, 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 is pure in its assessment, pure in its potential treatment and, and could be potentially scaled. I'm interested in kind of hearing a little bit on how you think about scaling this beyond you know, Northwell to others. And, you know, what does that look like? Are, are there any barriers or any opportunities to kind of disseminate your work here in a greater way to impact the U.S. at least to start, you know, across the country? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think a great question. I appreciate you asking this because it really goes back to uh, one of the first things that, uh, you know, we mentioned in this conversation about the gap in clinical education. So the work that we started to do here at Northwell really sh shined a light on the fact that uh, we just were never trained around this disease process. So even trying to train, uh, you know, clinical team members to ask three to four questions, we saw a lot of hurdles. We saw a lot of barriers. But in those challenges, we found opportunities. And the biggest opportunity we found was to call it as it is. Mm -hmm. um, the average physician in this country receives less than four hours of training around a disease process, which substance use disorder represents, that 40 million people in this country are dealing with. Mm. Uh, 98% of master or social work programs in this country do not require a course in substance use. Mm -hmm. So we realized through our own self-reflection and organizational reflection that there was a huge problem that was feeding the lack of clinical care. So through our work of just, you know, taking this vital sign, having these conversations and hopefully getting people on the path towards recovery, we identified an opportunity to build education. Uh, we went right over to our school of medicine, which had the traditional two to four hour footprint in their four year curriculum. And four and a half years into the conversation, we now have close to a 30 hour four year longitudinal curriculum, all framed under addressing substance use as part of usual care. Mm. That to me has tremendous impact and tremendous reach. Our medical students, uh, now our nursing students, they go throughout this country for their training. And mm. if they're leaving, if they're leaving the front doors of our medical school better educated with a compassionate lens on right. how to address substance use, then this whole country can very quickly benefit. Um, we've also turned, we've also evaluated, evaluated everything we've done in the medical school. And now we've converted it and brought it full circle strategically back into our health system for residency education, faculty development, clinical team education, even community education based on the curriculum that we put together at the School of Medicine. I love it. I love it. So I love the educational model. I love the scalability of it. I, and, and what excites me most is kind of the compound, the compoundness of what you're working in and how many other people you can reach across the country through this. And you know, obviously Northwell is doing some profound things. I, I was listening to you speak. I, I, I'm taking back a little bit to, uh, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, my dad was a dietitian at Willoughby Nursing Home, which is now a rehab uh, you know, facility, but I got to see a lot of substance abuse, you know, you know, and the way he treated people, he treated people mostly with food and, 
and um, you know, obviously, um, you know, making sure people were nourished, right? Not so, not so much on the medicine side uh, or medical side, I should say, on the pharmaceutical side. Um, but just hearing and probably seeing what you're you're doing and being at the kind of the center of gravity, you know, uh, you know, in New York is it, it's super powerful to what you're doing. Um, and why I mentioned taking me back, you know, I used to remember like the faces and people of people that I saw, you know. Um, in severe illness and addicted and, you know, having substance abuse problems, what would you say, what would you say, so say you have a friend or family member, or I have a friend or family member that's addicted to, um, you know, has an addiction problem. Um, what are some things that someone should be doing? And this, I'm asking this mainly for our listeners because everyone knows someone that's struggling with, with, with some of these things. What are some things you do and don't do? You know, I'm just kind of curious, not to get free advice here, but, but I, you know, everyone knows, <laughs> but I just love to hear kind of how you think of, you know, helping people and nudging people in the right way, you know? Sure. So uh, Anthony, I really appreciate that question. And I'll tell you why I think that it'll be very hard to find someone in this country that doesn't have a loved one that's dealing with substance use issues. Right. Uh, if not ourselves within our homes, if not our homes within our neighborhoods or our churches. So I do think it's a very relevant question. And, you know, the one thing, um, and this is now personally speaking, the one thing that we struggle for or look for is hope. Mm -hmm. And that's a very difficult thing, especially when you're in the heat of the moment and thinking that there's no tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I do think there are some, some things that could assist us on a community level, uh, as a societal, societal level, um, you know, one of the things is we really need to start normalizing this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to really build compassion around this conversation. Uh, one of the key things that we can do is at least our language. You know, um, I've had the privilege of speaking around the country around the opioid epidemic. But one of the things that I challenge folks from the moment that I start is let's stop calling it the opioid epidemic as if it's somebody else's, but really change one word and start calling it ours. Hours. And instantly it gives us this communal shared ownership and right. with ownership accountability to be there for each other. Right. Um, you know, another thing is that, you know, the conversations we have around our dinner tables, um, they're usually not unicorns and, you know, rainbows, right? Like if we are, we talk about this topic, if we talk about this topic and we're not pushing it under the coffee table, if we do talk about it, we tend to use words that may perpetuate the stigma that's surrounding this chronic illness. For example, using the word addict, you know, it's one thing if I was dealing with drug or alcohol addiction in my past and I referred to myself as an addict, it's a very different thing for a family member or a healthcare professional to label someone an addict as if they're not a person anymore, but all they are is that addiction. Right. So I do think one of the simplest and tangible things that all of us can challenge ourselves to do is really change the language around this topic mm -hmm. and make it so that anyone who is dealing with addiction, be it a family member or the individual themselves, create some sort of welcoming, um, some sort of welcoming environment that these conversations can ha can happen out in the open in the context that it is a healthcare issue. Right. And I, you know, and with that said, you know, if we can accept this as a healthcare issue, you know, as one, again, the largest healthcare organization in New York state that Northwell represents all of our colleagues from all the other institutions around this country. If we can accept this as the healthcare issue, it represents all of a sudden, all that training, all the commonalities, all the algorithms we know about other disease processes 
they can come into play and mm -hmm. science and evidence and start muting some of that socially primed education right. that we rely on. Right. I, I love it. And I, I think it's it's important to hit because you're, you're you're working on some such so such hard science, some grounded science and rehabilitation techniques. But there's an interesting balance, um, which some ways see is almost a, it feels like a dichotomy, but it's not. I, I believe that there's this empathetic, spiritual kind of purpose driven side of of you know, getting people to realize that the hope, you know, and it's so hard sometimes because that person's mind is clouded, their their judgments clouded, their 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 biometrics are off and thus their mindset's off, their mind is a little off, but embracing, you know, and speaking to them in a language that they understand of love, a language of empathy, a language of I'm here to help you. And, you know, the reality is we're all a mess, you know, I'll say, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I've been getting, um, I've been getting migraines a lot lately. And I know, I think the trigger is like food. Like if I eat some processed food and I try not to eat too much processed food or, or sugar or candy or anything like that um, during the week, but on the weekends, you're spending time with friends and family, you know, and, but lo and behold, there, there I go eating sugar again. And, you know, some would say sugar is a drug, right? And we're addicted to sugar. So it's like, I'm starting to think it's like, you know, we're all a mess. We're, we all are, right? I mean, we're all addicted to something, you know? Um, and, and we're always trying to break free. And it, I guess I, I don't know why I'm going there, but I'm just, I, I love the bridge and the connection in terms of the ownership. And we have to scan our society and realize like, this is ours. You can't really change something unless you really internalize it and realize that as, as a collective community, this is our problem and we need to observe it, understand it, and then treat it, which is obviously you're, you guys and you're leading that charge for that, that whole circle, which is, which is really fascenating. Um, I guess so, so Anthony, yeah. can, I, can I comment on that really quickly? Because yeah, I have yeah, a, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. In, in your own, in your words about the sugar and, and, you know, uh, you know, trying to identify what the triggers are. I mean, that, that to me is yet another commonality that we should all focus on for a moment. Mm -hmm. You know, for so long, we've thought that either you use drugs or you don't, it's like an on and off, either you drink or you don't. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if you are dealing with drinking issues or drug issues that you need to stop. Mm -hmm. And that's the only solution. But let's look at the commonalities for a moment, right? If I were to tell a child never to eat a cookie starting tomorrow, how would that be possible? <laughs> if I were to tell any of my colleagues that drink coffee every single day, say, by the way, starting tomorrow, never drink a sip of coffee. Right. I, what would be the outcome of that? And mm -hmm. I think, again, if we look at the opportunities here, yes, abstinence is one of the options that some folks dealing with alcohol and drug or tobacco issues may may uh, strive towards however a starting point of just reducing the harm even reducing the amount you drink reducing the amount you smoke that could be exponentially beneficial beneficial for yourself or the community so mm -hmm. i do think that again part of the normalistic language that we're trying to um not only model but really have folks illustrate on their own is one by internalizing it but two to understand that there is more than just a stop and start Right, there is a journey. We have to have patience. We have to support and motivate folks to make whatever change they're willing to do. Mm. Uh, all of us struggle with change, right? All, like you said before, all of us are a hot mess. I mean, a lot of us are, you know, challenged by making change or accepting change. Mm -hmm. So why would we hold people that may be dealing with addiction at a high to a higher standard? And I think that's where we've gotten it wrong as a society. Right. That's where we've gotten it wrong as an industry for many years. However. There are amazing folks around this country that are trying to change that narrative. Right. That 
you know, abstinence is not the only model. Us being compassionate, though we may not treat the addiction with that compassion, at least we can start the conversation and build partnership. Amen. Yeah, no, right, right there with you, Dr. Before I appreciate you putting in that context. Um, I think that's exactly, you know, what's, what's needed. And so, you know, critical, key and important. And, and then as you're, as you're going through this a little bit, you know, two other dimensions that I'd love to get your, your mindset on is, um, and one, because I'm here in Silicon Valley and as you know, downtown San Francisco has a big homeless problem and there's this convergence of addiction and homelessness and, and also, um, you know, my wife uh, is a special needs teacher and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of these homeless people that are special needs, they're homeless, probably psych psychological issues, but also addiction. And, and so the addiction piece is interwoven into these different um, backgrounds. Do you have any thoughts around that? How should we be looking at that, the convergence of addiction and homelessness? And are they to be untangled? Is there a certain order? What's, what's your mental model of that segment and how addiction's interwoven there? And, I just love to hear yeah. it a little bit. You know, I, I, it's a, a great question. Very difficult to answer. Right, um, right. I, Probably I like a, a long database and spreadsheet of lots of lots of lots of it depends logic. But uh, yeah, no, just kind of yeah. curious on your mindset or how you how you begin to think about you know asking the right questions or putting together the models for it. Sure. So, so again, I think I think it highlights one thing, uh, which is. There is no face to addiction anymore. Mm. And though we may think we understand what someone who's dealing with addiction looks like, because stereotypically, based on what we see on TV, it, it is a certain picture of a person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I do think that, yes, the homeless population, beyond just addiction, uh, you have behavioral health issues, you have general medical issues. I mean, when there is lack of access to care, when there's lack of access to uh, you know, financial support, um, there's no doubt that health may suffer. So right. I do think it is a complicated web. A lot that has to do with the healthcare industry, but also so many other industries that need to start partnering together, including the federal government, the state governments, you know, uh, community-based organizations, com the criminal justice system, the police departments. I mean, homelessness uh, or, you know, folks that are undomiciled, I mean, that's a very complicated issue. And we already know very well that health, uh, you know, offerings of health services are very scarce. Right. And if they are offered, they may not meet the standards that you and I would feel would be, you know, acceptable. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it is very difficult. But what I would say, look, every one of us is a person. Mm -hmm. Every one of us, uh, you know, has their own autonomy that we need to respect the decision making. But we also need to make services available. Um, specialized services are needed by the folks that have the most money in this country, as well as the folks that don't. And that's the, that's the reality of this disease process. Mm -hmm. There are there are so many illustrations of the fact that this is a disease that spans every social economic status, every race, every gender, without any discrimination. Wow! Wow! Yeah. No. I'm. This is this is really profound you know, um, really grounding. And I think, you, you know, just, I appreciate, you know, it's such a complicated set of social issues here. And, um, you know, so it's really great, you know, you know, you, you, um, you know, giving us your wisdom on, on how we should be thinking about this. And I, it actually resonates, you know, definitely with me. I'm sure it resonates with our listeners to those listening, um, when they listen to this, but, uh, I guess Dr. Kapoor, I want to be sensitive to your time. 
Um, and this is really great on like the current work that you're doing. It's setting ourselves, ourselves up for an interesting future. I'm really enthused to see this grow, scale, continue, and, and nurture and disseminate. Along those lines, tell me a little bit about your vision of health in the future, maybe over the next, you know, it could be the next year or the next five years, 10 years, but tell me what, what that optimistic vision of, of, of healthcare looks like. What's, what's happening? Why did it happen? Just love to, love to listen a little bit to your, your future of health. Sure. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll make it super focused on substance use, if you don't mind, sure, because sure. I do think this is probably one of the most remarkable opportunities or juncture that our industry has seen in many years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, building on like the Esper protocols, which to me is the lowest hanging fruit of showing compassion and empathy at the most basic level with just communication skills to start the conversation, you know, that again, will not treat addiction, but at least we'll start the conversation. The next layers that we've been putting into play here at Northwell include uh, educating patients and families on opioid overdose prevention, as well as distributing naloxone rescue kits, which is also known as Narcan, the <clears throat> antidote for an opioid overdose. On top of that, now we've taken it upon ourselves to start training and providing um, medication or addiction treatment within the non-addiction treatment setting. So meaning, you know, we do have addiction services. However, in emergency medicine and primary care and other disciplines, actually treating the addiction as if we would treat the hypertension as opposed to referring out to cardiology. Mm. Um, one of the most important things, in my opinion, is we need to definitely, if we're going to start the conversation and start walking the walk, then we need to actually start talking the talk. And that means we need to care manage or care navigate substance use disorder as the healthcare issue it is, as we do with so many other healthcare issues. So day two after discharge or day 10 after discharge, we actively engage a patient. We make phone calls out there. We go out in the community to see if they're still willing to partner. How do we navigate and support them on their journey towards recovery? as opposed to just leaving folks to fend for themselves. Mm. And I think that is a real call to action. We put it into play here in small demonstrations. However, our ultimate goal is that substance use disorder has its own specialized care management so that people, regardless if they are um, you know, capable of navigating the landscape of addiction treatment, or like the majority of us that find it difficult, we're there standing by their side well beyond the four walls of our clinical settings. Right. I mean, we truly have to be in this together. Uh, overall health matters, community health matters, and substance use, unfortunately, is a negative driver of both of those. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, this is great, Dr. Kapoor. Um, I, I really appreciate your, your vision here and in this space. I see it happening. Um, you guys are, are putting the pieces in place to make an impact here and it takes it takes not just leadership and bravery and courage but it it takes a focused concerted effort right you know there's a lot of theorists out there in health and um, what fascinates me the most are those that have great theories and the hypothesis but they they work and they act vision vigilantly you know to implement them and to to, to make an impact and keep growing and, and scaling and then teaching it right and so the dissemination of the good stuff and then inspiring the next generation of healers to do what they need to do is, um, uh, it's a cycle that I'm fascinated by and I appreciate your illustration uh, of it. And most importantly, your work, um, 
uh, you know, just overall, Dr. Kapoor. I guess, um, you know, again, I want to be sensitive to your time here. Maybe um, my last question, I promise my last question is uh, contact wise, right? Social wise, like what's a good way for our listeners to get in touch with you um, or interact with you on social media or directly if you'd like any of that to occur? <laughs> sure. Um, so I, I think uh, speaking on behalf of the amazing team that I'm part of, we would welcome contact. We want folks to hear our lessons learned so that they don't have to go through the same pains as us. However, again, we're still learning every single day. And luckily, with great leadership behind us, we have the opportunity to keep learning and keep changing uh, you know, the industry standards that we've seen for so many years. Um, contact, you know, I'm on Twitter, uh, Kapoor Meded, K-A-P-O-O-R-M-E-D-E-D. Uh, that's my handle, as well as, uh, you know, I can be reached by email at skapoor, S-K-A-P-O-O-R, at northwell.edu. Um, and I would welcome a conversation with anyone uh, willing to help reframe this, this, this dialogue that we've seen for so many years in this country around substance use. I love it. I love it. Dr. Kapoor, this was great. Um, Thank you for your time. Um, we'll link to that in, in our show notes and, you know, definitely love to have you back on the show as, as uh, you go through your, your next phases here. So maybe like after you're done with your next phase here of, of, you know, project work and educational work and, and, and just coming back and sharing your kind of next tier results. Um, just love to have you back and have you share more of your story here on, on what you guys are doing. And so uh, again, Dr. Kapoor, this was great. And thank you for peeling off time to do this. It was really uh, enriching for, for myself. So thank you. Uh, Anthony, I, on behalf of my whole team, thank you very much for, uh, you know, creating the forum for us to, to talk about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you. Again, thanks so much. This was this was great, Dr. Kapoor. Yep. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks.